0: It's a utopic fantasy to believe we can exist in a non-conflict world.
1: Revolution, New World Order. Rob, are we on
0: the precipice of World War Three? I think we're the closest to World War Three that I can remember we've ever been. I do remember thinking when Trump was at his fever pitch, he, he seems to be losing control. I can't remember the last time we got this close to World War Three. Now, look, Dan, I'm not a doom monger, but I can tell you this. A lot of people I knew didn't think Brexit would happen. Mm. It did. No one predicted COVID. It happened. A lot of people said to me, oh, Putin won't invade. He did. Mm. So one thing that springs to mind is we mustn't let hubris and complacency get in the way. It Obviously, I, I'm I'm a bit torn because... I don't want to go live saying oh world war three could be here but i believe you must plan for the worst as well as hope for the best
1: yeah agreed um interesting you mentioned trump the fears around this type of thing previously do you think this would have been happening if trump was still in power is this is this you know has the role of biden played a play has he played a role in this or is is there is there something more to this well If you
0: follow Trump on social, if you can find him anywhere, he's not been banned from. I follow his son and his son puts a lot of his media out. Of course, he would tell you how he would have handled it differently. I mean, Donald Trump is a strong character and he does embody the, you know, the Americans can't be bullied. But I I, I just want everyone to know I'm not a hater of all government and I'm not a hater of all leaders. And it's easy for you and I to sit here in the studio and criticise them. Mm. But if you were Biden and I were Putin, you know, of course, we'd have a different view. What I will say is Biden tweeted publicly saying any NATO military intervention is World War Three. And I was actually quite pleased he tweeted that because that is public accountability that NATO and America will have to do everything they can to not intervene in a military fashion, which... I'm not a believer in war. Wars have to happen if you go back through history. Conflict does equal war. I accept that. But I was pleased that um, the intervention is from, you know, blocking information, blocking um, money, you know, sanctions as such. Um, So I'm not a massive critic of Biden. I don't think he's necessarily handled it badly because, you know, a lot of people on my lives, they go, oh, just get rid of Putin, just send the bombs in. That is, to me, you know, human life should be preserved. It should be a last action. So I was more of a fan of, you know, the sanctions of finances and blocking all the finance. And I actually think that was a good way to suffocate, um, you know, the the advancements of Russia with all the sanctions that have happened. Um, I think Trump probably would have been more aggressive. I don't know if that is the answer. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, some people are arguing that if Trump was still in power, he had a different relationship with Putin. Um, by the way, we're keeping a Putin count throughout this episode <laughs> to see if, uh, you know, you reach a certain number and you get cancelled. So let's
0: see if we can get cancelled <laughs> Cancelled. Yeah, maybe yeah. we'll
1: try and use the term Putin inappropriately just to see what happens. Uh, but we will be touching on council culture, but we'll come back to that. But I think there are people out there who think that if Trump had still been in power, uh, he had a different relationship, it could have uh, played out differently. But as you said, you know, the, the reality is he's not. Well, Trump does respect Putin and thinks
0: he's a very smart person. So it clearly they must have had some kind of relationship.
1: Yeah, well, I think it, all of this comes back down to the relationships that people have. Yeah. Uh, you know, diplomacy requires some form of relationship, but we've seen complete breakdown of diplomacy. Are we on the edge of World War Three? Well, I think it's important to see the warning signs. I think people do need to take it seriously. But at the same time...
0: Well, how's, how's Putin getting
1: out of this now? Well, good question. <laughs> you know, people have been
0: saying they need to let him save face. Mm. I remember a billionaire speaking to me and I asked him what's the best advice he ever got. And he said, when you back a rat into a corner, always give it a hole to exit through. Mm. And I remember that. And if you push someone with a strong ego or dictatorial qualities into a corner, they're probably going to fight. Yes. You have to give them something to exit stage left.
1: Yes. I do actually agree with that. Well, that's also why it's important that we don't just bombard Russia, because you're absolutely going to trigger the beast. And, you know, the precipice of World War Three with nuclear potential, we don't really want to poke the bear so far that someone pulls that trigger because that is catastrophic loss of life. You know That is a decision you can't come back from. So it's it's a really complex situation. What's your take? Why do you think this? Why is this happening now in the way that it is? Well, I think if you look back through history, you see cycles of peace and war. Mm.
0: And I think people think, generally speaking, assuming we're all of reasonably good humanity, that war is bad and peace is good. But there are always cycles in history of peace and war. And we haven't had a war. Well, we've had quite a few wars, but we haven't had a world war for, you know, not quite a century. Mm. But I bet if you go back through history, it's quite hard to find a century without a serious war. Now, of course, every war that's happened is serious. And there have been, you know, of course, the Gulf War and the, there's been many wars. But so cycles is one thing. Um Another thing I think is when people are upset and angry enough and because I don't think there's just a war on the, the division of Russia and Ukraine. I think there's a war on freedom of speech. Mm. I think there's a war on council culture, a war on our um, ability to speak our mind without getting shadow banned or banned a war language is now used as a weapon, like, oh, that's misinformation. (laughs) That's like me saying, you're a, (laughs) you know. So language is now being used as a weapon. Yes. And it, it reminds me that I think in cycles, you often have strong leadership comes out of hard times. Strong leadership then creates good times. Good times creates weak leadership. Weak leadership creates hard times. Hard times create strong leadership. Mm-hmm. Strong leadership creates good times. And you see this cycle going round. And I, I, it's not directly answered your question, but I think that cycles have a big part to play in it.
1: Well, I think it does directly answer the question on the basis, whilst it doesn't break down the complexities of the situation in Russia, Ukraine, all of that, you know, we could speculate over. But the cycles piece actually is probably the most important piece because we're so busy in the kind of present moment doing our thing that we rarely take that macro stock, look at what's going on in the world in terms of those cycles. But the reality is history does show us some level of predictability to what's happening in the world today. In fact, Ray Dalio, uh, if you haven't seen it, he's done a fantastic 45 minute video on the last 500 years. And you could pretty much to a T, and he recorded this prior to the Russian conflict, and you could see it on the charts so that mm. something like this was on its way. Yeah. So it does become a predictor. But the, the big question is, is it also a predictor of the future? Because what we're seeing now in the UK, you know, we've just had the uh, budget announcements. We're coming off the back of COVID, where it's had huge economic ramifications. You know, how do we move forward from that? Again, if you look at the cycle. Well, they say
0: ba- luck, bad, comes in threes. <laughs> so Brexit, COVID... Putin, that's a pretty bad little run there.
1: Yeah, I hope someone's keeping count. I think that's four or five times I've had Putin. By the <laughs> way, if you're watching this live now, I'm here at The Disruptor Shoes. My name is Dan Aston gregory Delighted to be here with Rob Moore today, unpacking some of these big picture stories, asking the question, are we on the precipice of revolution? Are we on the, the kind of tipping point of a World War Three? These big picture conversations that I think many of us are having in our minds. We're witnessing what's happening in the world, trying to make sense of the situation in order to find our way through it. I think many of us probably watching this are, if not all of us, are pro-peace. You know, I can't make that assumption. But, you know, I would personally, having been a new father, don't want to live in a world with conflict in the way that we're witnessing now. But again... But but the problem is,
0: and I hear you, but it's a utopic fantasy to believe we can exist in a non-conflict world. Mm. Um, And that's because we all have a unique set of values. So I'm going to throw a solution straight out there right now. And this is naive. And it's a fantasy. It's an ideology. And that can be a problem. But the only way I believe we'll ever be in a world where we don't have wars is one, by respecting and understanding each other's values. Mm -hmm. This is really important. Because what is a conflict? A conflict is I believe X. And you believe why. Yes. Therefore, you're wrong and I'm right. And therefore, I will fight to defend my values and I will fight against yours because yours are wrong and mine are right. You're a socialist. (laughs) I'm a capitalist. You're extreme left. I'm right. You know, so the only way we navigate conflict, we have to be open about what challenges our values. Because what often happens in conflict is there's repression, 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 and then there's a too big of an expression. You know, we've all held things in only for them to explode later. But also, I have to care enough about you to learn your values, to understand what motivates and drives you and who you are and what will challenge your values. And if I want to sell you on a vision, a dream, a product, a service, the way I can most do that is understand your values and link my discussion, my debate, my offer to your values. And what happens is all conflict comes, I believe, from a opposition of values, whether it's on a family level, mm-hmm. a local level, a county level, a country level, a continent level or, or a global level. So obviously in the world of politics and war, we have a big values difference between NATO and Russia or America and Putin or China and or, or whatever else. So. it's it's ideological, yes, but you never resolve conflict by fighting it. If I fight you and I win, do you go, oh, Rob, I'm really happy. Thanks for beating me. (laughs) No, No. you plan your next move and you come back bigger and stronger to fight me and defeat me back. And this is what we've been doing for tens of thousands of years. Now, we, we used to be barbarians. We don't need to be barbarians anymore. So we... We have to learn to appreciate each other's values, meet in the middle, and that's on a global level, that's called a treaty. You know, we need to meet on a level. And also, like, I have to allow you your freedom to disagree with me. Mm. And people don't do this. Like, I like you if you agree with me, but if you disagree (laughs) with me, I'm going to ban you, cancel you, deplatform you or bomb you. Yes. This is wrong. Yeah. But and I'm frustrated because I think... We surely should be more evolved as humanity. We, we understand our brain, the science that's available to us. Yet in many ways, we're, I, think, I feel like we're de-evolving back. You know that um, famous image of the Neolithic man sort of going from a um, Neanderthal upwards into a human being, <laughs> Homo erectus or whatever we are? Well, I feel
1: like we're going back down so anyway well evolution i'll hold evolution because that's a really important point on on this journey because actually you could argue we're on a pathway to either self-termination or self-transcendence and you know i i I would argue for a pathway towards transcendence but i'll come to that on the evolution but on your point here around values and our ability to resolve conflict what's really interesting mentioning brexit covid the war all of these have been deeply polarizing subjects. Mm. You know, they've torn people apart. They've put people into camps. But what's really interesting from a social dynamics perspective is there's this there's this theory called terror management theory. And basically, when we're in fear, when we're in conditions where we are fearful for our own mortality, or we're fearful of a, a, a widespread change, what tends to happen? So look at Brexit. You know, it, it, it put you straight into your identity position. Often, you know, people reflect back on those decisions were done on very micro levels rather than a, an assessment of the, the the overall situation. Not speaking for everyone, but, you know, that's that some of the commentary. But then COVID, it existential, perceived existential threat, particularly in the way that it was managed. Now war, you know, mortality. So the terror management theory suggests that when we're in fear in this way, we gravitate towards that worldview, that those identity polarities. And what that does is it makes us more likely to cling on to our pre-existing view. It makes us more likely to enter into conflict. So the fact that we've gone from Brexit, COVID, to war means that we're actually more likely to continue this journey of polarization. We're actually more likely to continue to fall out. But how we get to that point of recognition of diplomacy, you know, understanding your point of view, understanding someone else's point of view. I mean, there'll be people watching this now who've got completely different opinions to Rob and I. But if we were to sit in a room, we may not ever come to a conclusion mm. that we all accept, but we can come to a shared understanding. But in the context of war, you know, quite clearly that ability to understand one another has broken down to the point where weapons are being fired. How, how, do, you, how do you, you know, what, what, what is gonna mark the end of this? Where do you think this is gonna go? I'm no war expert. Uh, you know, I'm not.
0: Oh, so disappointed. I've come to the wrong place. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, the reason you and I are talking about this is because every now and again, there's more important things than the things that we do. Yes. So I'm an entrepreneur and I help people start to scale their business and get better financial knowledge. But right now, with a fight on information, a fight on freedom of speech, a fight on you know, your property rights, your liberty, and now, of course, a war, it's important that we use our platform to try and put out a positive message. But I'm always very honest about where my limits are. Mm. And I'm not a study of war history. So where does this end? I do not know. But I do know that I will interrupt my content every single day to promote peace, not war, to promote treaties and negotiations and letting people save face and finding ways to end mass conflict and to encourage other people to do the same. Mm. So I hope it ends between those two nations. But how can it? Like, how can it? (laughs) Yes. That This is why I'm a bit worried about this being the closest to World War Three, because Putin... Takes Ukraine. What's he going to stop there? Somehow he manages to retreat. I don't don't see how it ends. I don't know what everyone else thinks. But um, what I do know is any military intervention the US president has said is World War Three. So it probably ends by cutting off information and cutting off money supply, which they've been doing. And it ends in giving Putin some kind of exit, Mm. which he's in some way satisfied with. Yes. But then here's something that people don't often admit. You only know what you know based on the research you can do. Mm. And some of your research has to come from mainstream media. And you're already sceptical about mainstream media. Very much so. So what you know has got to be at least three or four... Iterations away from the reality. The only way you'd really know what's going on is if you are Putin's right hand man or you are the US president. So we all think we know more than we do. Indeed. And, you know, I've lost a lot of respect for the neutrality of sites like the BBC, which that used to be a big thing about the great British Broadcasting Corporation, the institution of balanced information. But no, they have their own fact checking system, which is really we don't agree with you. Yes. And so mainstream media is being disrupted. And the continued disruption of mainstream media, I think, is linked to where this could end, because that's where the propaganda comes through. That's where a lot of the misinformation comes through. Ironically, they accuse others of misinformation. You know, they tried to cancel Joe Rogan. Now, when I said they, who knows? Some people say it's mainstream media. Who's puppet stringing mainstream media? Who knows? But there was a concerted effort to completely dethrone, because he is on a throne, Joe Rogan, to get his show shut down, pressuring Spotify, you know, these sort of older has-been singer-celebrities That when you look who the investors are behind them, (laughs) all link back to mainstream media, you know, blah, blah, blah. So preserving our freedom of speech, decentralising media so it has less control, and less power, so less ability for propaganda. Therefore, a more balanced and diverse information flow. I think
1: that's linked. Yes. Yeah, so well, I, I agree. I mean, it, back to your point around how to resolve conflict, it requires dialogue and understanding. How can you have understanding when half the conversation is being chopped off? Mm. You know, how can you have, a, a, you know, throughout throughout the pandemic, we saw endless amounts of censorship, deplatforming, cancel culture across all big tech. And
0: big tech has replaced mainstream TV as the main media outlets. But yet, if if an advertiser says, oh, I don't, I don't want David Icke or I don't want... COVID misinformation uh, on channels where I'm giving you billions of pounds worth of ad spend, what are YouTube going to do? They're obviously going to go, oh, okay. And so, but then they have these AI bots. So I I like to watch and I did a Facebook live and I said the C word, COVID, <coughs> once. Yes. And then the COVID warning banner <laughs> comes up at the bottom. Yep. I said the word once. Yes. When does the Putin warning button come up? Now... This opens up a lot of paradoxes. I'm really grateful to Facebook and I'm really grateful to YouTube because I've been able to build a profile on there. I'm not the sort of person that wants to come into your living room and take a piss on your rug (laughs) in your living room and discredit your interior design taste in your living room. And the paradox is big tech has given people like you and I a platform. Mm. So in many ways, it's good. But I I just don't. This is where government are supposed to intervene. Exactly. So. Many free market capitalists would say government intervene too much. Mm. But I think government are just intervening wrong. So they're not intervening in giving big tech more accountability for cancelling and deplatforming. And they're not intervening by reducing taxation and supporting business and economy. So I just I feel like they're intervening in the wrong
1: areas. Yes. Well, I mean the yeah the, the economics of free market has changed radically from the, the, the well there is no free market. Well, anymore. no. But if you look at you know the, the economics of Adam Smith and the idea that we have this you know these goods that we just create demand for and people will buy them and it will create this conditions where you know the best providers will create the products to serve the needs of the market. That's completely transformed. So the free market is no longer the free market we have to play by the rules of the systems we're operating in. You know, there, there's no such thing as an inert piece Or of, hold them to account. Or hold them to account, Yeah, exactly. And I think this is where we're at this kind of turning point, because where, where social media began and where it is today is very different. And uh, how, whether it's down to the government, whether it's its users, we've seen a complete lack of that kind of collective kind of bargaining of the, the social media platforms. You know, despite all of the censorship in the last two years, how much pushback has there been really, apart from people going on the very same platforms and saying this is unacceptable? Mm. You know, how many legal challenges have there been? How many, mm. how many broad attempts to restore free speech has there been? My view is that we haven't gone far enough. And I, no. think, I think we have to wrestle that back because you're absolutely right.
0: The, For example, I don't think Facebook should have been allowed to cancel Donald Trump. I don't think Twitter should have been allowed to cancel Donald Trump. I know that's contentious because a lot of people think that he incited violence, but come on, did he really? And there's plenty of people who have social media accounts who do incite violence. (laughs) You know, we won't mention any extremists, but there are. So, yeah, but that's, uh, you know, Nigel Farage says to me that um, governments are basically scared of big tech because of the amount of power they have. Um, So the government don't really intervene in instances like that. Whether you like Donald Trump or not, why should he get cancelled and others not? What's the fair justification? Well, it's our platform. I, don't, I didn't agree with that.
1: No. Well, it, it did just, you? What Trump getting? Yeah. No. No. I mean, I mean, we've seen it even in our own borders here in the United Kingdom. We've seen. Yeah, you know, the idea of democracy. We've seen footage from the Houses of Parliament taken down from YouTube. I mean, how does democracy work when you can't even show the inner workings of it yeah. on social media? So yeah. whether it's Trump or or, or politicians, and then and then, here. It, and then
0: it fucks up the voting system. Absolutely, because if big tech can cancel and ban and shadow, and the algorithm hides that campaigner but
1: boost this campaigner, yeah. Well, yeah. So let, let's let's. Oh, let me let me paint a really simple example about how democracy works in those simple terms. You may remember this from when you were a child. You get a, you get a tub of beans, a, you know, in in a jar, a transparent jar. You can see how many beans are in the jar. You ask a hundred people how many beans are in this jar. The principle of aggregation based across those hundred people. Some will woefully underestimate. Some will massively overestimate. But enough people will be closer to the actual number. That they'll roundabout way guess how many beans there are in the jar. But if you tell people before they guess that people generally overestimate, that's actually going to skew the way they actually uh, vote on how many beans there are in the jar. But essentially this is what's happening on social media. They're skewing the way we see the world in order that when it does come to voting scenarios, we're not actually operating in a true democracy anymore not that we necessarily even were you know i say anymore when was the last time we actually were but mm. my point is technology has so much power that, 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 that it is disrupting our ability as citizens to intervene so on one hand you mentioned the power of big tech well we've got big tech over here amassing power Sent big central, which has also done a lot of good for the world, well, by the has. way. Yeah, done, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And centralization
1: brings efficiency. Did, did we
0: meet on social media? We probably we, did. We probably did. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> we met on Facebook and now we're bitching about Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> sorry to interrupt, yeah, but, carry on. but yeah. we have this centralization part. But you're absolutely right. Again, this is the problem with the world we live in. We kind of start to demonize centralization as bad. Well, centralization does drive efficiency, it mm. drive, you know, economies of scale, economies of scale, yeah. all of that stuff that reduces prices for the consumer, all that stuff. Yeah. But it does come with risks. Mm. Particularly when, you know, it starts to intervene with the political system, which you would argue now it's more than intervened and that the, the big tech, do they have more power than governments right now? Do governments feel like they're they're under threat? I I wonder. Well, Nigel Farage said to me that uh, our
0: government UK is scared of the big tech companies so he therefore must believe they have more power Mm. he's pretty well into politics so he knows more than me about that i couldn't comment Um, but they did nothing the u.s government seemed to do nothing about trump having his um, account shut down nothing Mm. Mm. and here's the problem if you don't fight for the freedom of speech even with people you disagree with what they said, you're already losing. So let's say you let's say you'd said something which was close to the line, which I didn't di- agree with. But you were getting, you know, a barrage of cancelled dam. I would support you even if I didn't agree with you, because I, I shouldn't be able to choose whether you're cancelled or not or whether you can speak your opinion or not. Mm-hmm. So I would support you, even if I didn't agree with you. Now, I've got to have faith in the government that they intervene at the right point. So governments, they are there to govern. They intervene, you know, when it moves into legality, criminality, safety, whatever else. Um, So it's a fine line. But I stood up hard for Joe Rogan, even if some of the guests were controversial. Because if any if BlackRock, <laughs> you know, if if the firms behind who are pulling the strings, ah, okay. uh, we don't like Joe Rogan's narrative, cancelled, then you and I will be next. Yep. And I, you know, I don't think I don't think there are list of people in the moon, but I don't want David Icke cancelled because he's been proven right in some things, and he should have his right to speak freely, Mm. as long as he's not inciting violence and death, etc. All the while, there are some extremist groups who use social media for terrorism who still have their accounts up. So it's a difficult one. And on on the free market thing, as you know, I'm a believer in capitalism, big fan of it, but I'm actually not a big fan of an extreme free market. Government should at times intervene. For example, child labour was a thing, and government intervened to get rid of child labor, which at the time the capitalists didn't want, because mm. you know it was cheap labor yep. in that instance, I thought it was a good government intervention, so there is no such thing as a free market, but there there should be, I believe, minimum amount of intervention to stop to not stifle productivity, creativity, innovation. the problem right now is a lot of creativity, innovation, growth, manufacturing and production is being completely stifled. COVID, lockdowns, Brexits and wars. And that's really the only way they're going to kickstart the economy again. I can't remember what
1: thread we were on. But. <laughs> well, there's a lot intertwined here. You know, everything from polarisation, uh, censorship, cancel culture, big tech, uh, power. You've touched on the economy. You know, that's big news right now. We've just come off the back of a you know, a huge economic event in COVID. And and now, as we try to recover from this, we face inflation. So let me
0: just quickly throw the question back on you before we move into increased cost of living, etc., which is crazy.
1: You asked me, how do I think this ends? Yes. How do you think this ends? Well, I actually really like the way you say you need to get out. You know, in order that there has to, be, you know, there has to be some level of compromise within this. There has to be some level of uh, agreement, uh, and I, I do feel that some level of concession would have to be made. Isn't that what a treaty is? What well, is what a treaty yeah. is? <laughs> now, this is where the cycles and the, the the macro picture gets even more interesting because the fact that you know you're talking about Biden putting the sanctions on Russia, that's going to have a you know. An astronomical effect on Russia's economy yeah but again, and, and our economy and our economy way. absolutely yeah. but also Americas which I'll touch upon yeah but but also here's the thing when we look at the impact of the the, the sanctions they may or may not in, put an end to the war. What they will do is absolutely devastate the lives of citizens in Russia, which we're not allowed to talk about on social media. We're not allowed to say positive things about Russia anymore. We can't empathise with the civilians who are suffering because of the war. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's like a dominant position that's been accepted, which, again, I find awful. Yeah. They're still human beings just because they were born in a, cult, uh, in a culture. And not all
0: of them want this war.
1: Well, uh, <laughs> how many of them actually do? Yeah. There's a huge peace <laughs> movement there. But also, you have to argue, in the cultures they live in, how easy is it to challenge the government when they do things like this? You know, no one expected them to to attack Ukraine. They've shown that military might, but they've also shown that they'll inflict it on their own people. So it becomes a very tricky situation. Um, But the point I was making here is that this is a bigger picture, because now that that America has put these sanctions in place, what they've also done in the same process is now weakened confidence in the dollar. Because in the same way we were just talking about, you know, if you're willing to cancel Joe Rogan, you and I could be next. People are now looking at America saying, well, you know what, if they're willing to go that hard on Russia, they might do that for us one day. And America has a history of of, of conflict and sanctions that haven't done particularly well. Uh, And as a result now, people are losing faith in America. They're losing faith in the dollar. The dollar is beginning to devalue. Their economy is now feeling the hit like we are. But China, meanwhile, are on the ascendancy. So when we look at the the big cycles of the economics and political cycles, we know that America is on the decline side, but we also know that China is on the ascendancy, both politically, economically and as a military power. so when we look at how does this end, a lot of a lot of the weight I would say is on, on China's shoulders and at the beginning it, you know the, the, we've already seen the meetings of Putin and Xi Jinping the, 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 the president of the China uh, Communist Party, and whether they support Russia or whether they support America, they're walking a fine line because they stand to gain no matter which way they turn because they are going to get oil and gas from Russia. Uh, but their economy is entirely dependent on America, Europe, you know, Amazon itself is basically a front door for China, really, if you look at where all the goods are coming from. So China is, is, is walking this fine line. And the decisions that China make, I think, will determine the future of the war. Um, but it will also, in the context of the title, determine the future of the New World Order. But what would that mean if China become the global superpower? They're pretty much there. You know, over the last two years, over the course of the pandemic, there are overseas investment, more billionaires have been created in China than ever before. There's the speculation about where the virus came from. Um, But but China have been just growing, growing and growing. But if they become the dominant power here, they could send the war either way. So I I think I think there is an active role in China, both in ending the war. But also I think they will have a significant impact on the economic and political future of the rest of the world. But this is where it also gets really complicated for me, because we've talked about free speech, free markets, capitalism, these Western values, these long-held Western values. What's interesting when you go to Eastern cultures, some of these more what we deem oppressive regimes, which lack the freedom of speech, lack the human rights, but, you know by the traditional measures of standard of living economically is improving, but again there's huge wealth gaps there as well. It gets highly complex because what you and I you and I might sit here and be in a complete agreement about the Western values. But then we could have someone from the east of the world who sees the world completely differently and we could be in conflict. But the reality is now we're seeing those polarities unfold here. And people think Ukraine is the pawn, which in many ways it is, but now Russia is Russia the pawn between the battle between America and Ukraine. Uh, sorry, America and China. That's where I'm looking at this because that's that's where the real macro picture is. That many of us are distorted. But even even Biden in America, I think they've lost sight that their that that you know their their, their ability as a superpower is, is 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 dwindling over this. So to me, this is a, this is one of the most fascinating times to be alive. How will it end? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but it seems that Putin uh, is is intent on seeing a replacement of the leadership in Ukraine, someone that will categorically refuse to join NATO. That's, that's, that's what he is pursuing. How you get to that point, whether it's you know some peaceful agreement that says, OK, we won't join NATO for now. Maybe that's the concession he's looking for. So let me ask you this then, Dan.
0: What is, where will, the new world order be what is this new world order? I mean, there's the new world order that everyone thinks is linked to the WEF and oh nothing and be happy and Klaus Schwab and you know you get all these sound bites that everyone puts on your um, your feed on your lives, but there's also a new world order of where we come out of this for, for, for the UK Brexit, COVID, uh, and this war. And the massive increase in cost of living is it's like unprecedented. Mm-hmm. The um, the tax increases we're we're not the the fur we're not that far off where we were in the early '80s. The increased cost of living is apparently at record high for something like sixty odd years. Inflation. If they tell you it's 7.9 percent, it's probably twelve and a half percent because they don't include everything in inflation figures. So there's massive price pressure upwards. The supply chain is clearly still not fully flowed again. So there's a lack of production and manufacturing and probably a lack of innovation compared to, a you know, a, a healthy economy. So we've got all of this pressure everywhere. Where Where is
1: the New World Order? Well, the fact that we've used the word New World Order is almost <laughs> as controversial as using the term Putin several times. And I'm sure after we look at this, we'll see that... Uh, and I, I mentioned the word New World Order on Monday in my broadcast, and we got one of those little warnings on YouTube that talks about how the New World Order is a conspiracy theory. Oh, series. really? Yeah, it said, it said, it said that... Uh, it was just a, a, like a Wikipedia link. It takes yeah. the top line from Wikipedia and says that new, it just defines New World Order to give you context. If you hadn't already got the context of the conversation, you can read the one liner from Wikipedia that says. But a, a New World Order could just be evolution or revolution of where we go
0: outside of this. Absolutely. Crazy last few years. It doesn't have to Uh, be, you know, the WEF and 12 powerful men having meetings, you know, in their ivory towers, pressing buttons on what happens in the world and this global elite. That to me is a little bit more um, sensationalist or conspiracy theory. Here's why. Because I asked you who's running the world and I asked David Icke who's running the world. And a lot of people that say there are these globalists running the world, no one could mention anyone's
1: name other than Schwab. No <laughs> yes. one could. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is where, again, I think so, uh, whether social media has played a role in this, we live in this world which is really radically complex. Uh, radically complex. We, and then one, you get a nice soundbite. Yeah, soundbite. <laughs> yeah. Everything is down in the New world sound order. New world order. Quick. listen. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Own oh, nothing. Be yeah. happy. Well, exactly. But I can funny. tell you I'm, I'm not having that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not having that. <laughs> but, well, no, exactly, yeah. Um, uh, oh, the Rothschilds, that's another one. That, I mean, do you know how many Rothschilds there are? There are loads. I know it's a family that's gone back, but no one has any proof of any of this. By the way, I'm not saying yay or nay, and I'm also not sitting on the fence, but no one can specifically say this man or this woman is doing this or this. They just use sound bites like
1: the Rothschilds or Klaus Schwab. Yeah. Well, sorry, carry let, on. Let me speak into this one. So, firstly, the radical complexity. But we, we live in a world where we will criticize the fact that the mainstream media reduces down stories to the simplicity of Putin is evil uh, as a simple story. And where it's quite clear whether he is or not is, is, is only a small part, a small strand of the kind of complex yarn ball of the kind of intris- intricacies of the history, the economy, the politics. Uh, the relationships between nations, all of it there's so many variables, but we reduce it down to this simplicity. The same is happening on the other side though, but we don't hold ourselves to account. you know the idea that there is just a small world government or or the pursuit towards a world government where single leaders control the world, I think is deeply flawed. However, it's quite clear that history has shown yeah, what we can see for sure is that those who hold the greatest power and wealth generally determine, the future of humanity. They, those who own the means of production, are the ones who have the greatest exertion of control and power. What's happened in the recent history, modern history, is that it's gone from the days of, you know, empires and monarchs, to now, you know, the, the power is held in the glass towers of corporate business. And there's a big difference between capitalism and corporatism. And I think what we're witnessing now is the power and might of corporatism. So when we talk about New World Order and it's kind of reduced down to the WEF, the reality is if you look at the WEF, it's a function of some, it's it's a it's a think tank, it's a group of some of the wealthiest, most powerful individuals, but also companies. And the reality is they, they, they're not an organisation that sits around the table and say, what innovation shall we come up with for the next decade? The companies that belong to WEF are the ones that are already innovating. So all the things around surveillance tech that that we've talked about, some of the things connected to these technocratic, uh, technological innovations that can actually compromise our freedoms, isn't the World Economic Forum saying we're determining the future. It's actually a function of the individual businesses. However, when they come together and they witness the economic opportunity that comes from this, of course, their interests start to align around the usual drivers, which is uh, long-term... Productivity, long-term economic interests. Uh, so the reality is they have an enormous amount of power, but I, I don't believe personally that Schwab is the man pulling the strings, that he is determining what all of these different business leaders are doing. Plus, you just look, have to look at human behaviour. You know, you and I could be the two most powerful people on the, in the world, but unless we see the world exactly the same, At some point, we're going to fall out. I mean, even during this conversation, we could fall out over something. So the idea that you can get ten, a hundred, a thousand of the world's wealthiest people in a room, all cooperating, doing the same thing for a prolonged period of time, to me, is just a flaw. I mean, how many people have been in a relationship with anyone that has not come down to a conflict at some point?
0: So are you saying there should be one world leader then?
1: No, absolutely not. (laughs) no but the reality is what we have here is this 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 group these groups and you know the water Forum are just one of them but these congregations of wealth and power have taken different forms over the years but where we where we are seeing a very different form now is that as we touched upon earlier today the technology is is now playing a major determining factor the reality is these are unelected official you know they 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 they're innovators they're entrepreneurs typically which um, let me just jump in on that yeah
0: one. like the most valuable people in society probably should be the engineers and the tech people who um, move humanity forward the most. So as you said that, I almost thought, well, who would I rather have? An elected politician who's learned the political system or Elon Musk, who's a billionaire, who's created useful products and services. Who would I rather have as dictating the evolution of the world? Like, for example, who who would I rather have spend and invest 10 billion of taxpayers' money? The US government or Elon Musk? Elon Musk all day long. If you give Elon Musk 10 billion, let's say there's a, a choice where there's 10 billion of tax paid money and you and I get to choose where it's given and where it's given they have to invest it wisely for the betterment of humanity. Stays in the government or goes to Elon Musk? Who are you giving it to? Well, who are you giving it to?
1: Well, who am I giving it to? I mean, that's a difficult question. But I think yeah. it comes—it comes down to what's your outcome. But th- this is what democracy is supposed yeah. to be. If, evolve, suppo- evolve humanity. Is that not—is that not the purpose of humanity? Yes, but how do you define an evolved humanity? If we're measuring it by simply, because at the moment our stand—a standard of living is defined by two things. One. Uh, See, increase. the political way, you didn't answer that question. <laughs> yeah, that. Let's, ask, let's yeah. ask everyone here. Yeah, as who well. would you vote
0: for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who would you give 10 billion of taxpayers' money to, assuming they were both tasked with the same thing, which is to better humanity? Would you give it to Elon Musk or would you give it to the US government? Like, in the UK, who would I want to give 10 billion of tax money to? Richard Branson... Or the UK government. Yes. Well, the UK government's too big, as is the US government. They've got too many staff. They're one of the. You know, they've had. They've had a pay rise through this, and you know th- their terms are short. Yep. They're not incentivized for ten, twenty year They're plans. That's part of the problem. Whereas entrepreneurs are. Yep. Because um, they want to leave a legacy. So I'm giving it to Branson or Musk all day long. What about? Let's see what everyone else thinks. Someone said they'd give it to you, Dan. Thanks. Dan wouldn't want it. You wouldn't want it. Anyway, so I interrupted you, but well, you, were, no, you were politically answering. Well, the
1: question. I was, but, yeah, but for an important reason. So, and again, let's let's take it back to Brexit. Okay, so you've asked me, would I choose between the current or American, or British, a British British leader, a tech say? entrepreneur who's yeah.
0: improving the world, or the the government?
1: Well, that's it. so. Let me explain why I partially <laughs> dodged or temporarily dodged your question. So. Let's look at the incentives for both of those. So the the entrepreneur's incentive in the current way that the world works is to advance economic outcomes. So to increase profits, usually for, in the current system, for the shareholders. Now, if those shareholders have a diversified set of interests. Well, not all of them. Well, not all of them. No, Some of them want
0: to create meaningful products and services well, to change the world and make, say, well, make yes. a difference. Yeah.
1: I think he is that. Well, yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah. I mean, he,
0: gave the, he gave the technology of the battery to his competitors. True.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's doing things very differently. He
0: gave yeah. Ukraine, Starlink, Internet. Mm. So,
1: yeah. But it's a, the, the point for me is, and this is why I use the Brexit piece, because... In order to answer the question, you need to understand what you're voting for. So if I'm voting, what if I had to choose between Musk on very limited information, other than what I've perceived him to do within business, versus uh, a politician with very limited information, how can I make a selection? The bigger question to me comes, what are we actually voting for? And that's why I ask, what's the outcome? Because if standard of living is only measured by Increased productivity in the form of GDP per capita output per individual uh, and length of life What about quality of life? What about the joy de vivre? Because on one hand we live in the most prosperous Technologically advanced economically advanced even in the fact that we've got this recession. There is more money in the world than history but our mental health our physical health is declining so which of those individuals is going to look at the incentive structures and say How do we balance economic progress with technological progress, with nature, with our own livelihoods, our joy, our interconnectedness, our freedoms, our liberties? I don't know, without the information of studying those individuals, who's going to be best suited to do that. And the fact is, we live in a system where we are constantly presented with two choices. And we've been presented with some awful choices in the last
0: decade, which is part of the problem. But, the, but then when you have 132 choices, you can't make a choice. Well, that's and, true. Also, and actually. you haven't even yet given an answer. No, so I that haven't. is a paradox. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, but so so let me elaborate even further. So placing the emphasis on one person, I consider myself to be relatively widely read. But, you know, I'm I, I'm I, I'm a... Master of none, effectively. You know, I have, I have, a, I have, a, I have a wide range of understanding of, of, of some. I'm a, I have some mastery in some areas, I'll, I'll give myself that. But if I want to improve the economic situation, I would find someone, perhaps Musk, perhaps yourself, Rob, who has an understanding of how to improve the economic situation, but I wouldn't want them to be the only person making those decisions. I want to see, and, and this is where we need to look at how do we evolve the political system, because how, how, how do we move away from and, and let's look at representative democracy. My MP in my area. Your, the thing about your MP in your area. What is your MP actually an expert in? You know, how are they supposed to improve the economy in your area? How are they supposed to, you know, improve the kind of livelihoods of individuals and the joy and well-being of individuals? How are they supposed to improve the improve the local environment? if they have no knowledge Mm. of any of these things. We live in a system, but then I'm not advocating therefore for technocracy because technocracy is saying, well, you're a scientist, you're an economist, you make the decisions, you know best. Mm. We need to find a way to incorporate because the politicians should be a reflection of what the interests of humanity are. But the reality is, as history has shown us, entrepreneurs know this. If you'd asked people in the early 1900s, what do you want? They would have said, I want a faster horse. You know, a faster horse that can carry more luggage. And you know what? You could conjure up some new horse feed that makes them go that extra miles an hour faster. Or you can build a car that enables you to... And again, then we go into an existential argument about what the car has done for the environment. Da da, da, da. There's always second order consequences. I still haven't answered the question. <laughs> but my, my point... Sorry, I'm just enjoying the show. But it's my point good. is, this is complex. And this is... the I think we're at a point in history where we live amongst exponential technology, which... You know, we, 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 in the context and the lens of war,
0: we've... Okay. we've Let me jump in here. Yeah. Sorry, Dan. I'm on one. I'm on Just one. remember yeah. what you're, you were about to say, because I need to address something. I think we have to go further and think about what is the purpose of humanity. Good one. Which isn't really talked about much.
1: Mm.
0: Now, I'm going to put a theory out there that the purpose of humanity is not happiness. So the resistance to economic growth... Technological advancement or whatever is well, quality of life and work-life balance and four-day work week, and let's be more happy and you know, blah, 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 more present. That's not, I'm going to discuss with you, and I love your thoughts on this. That's not the purpose of life. Mm-hmm. Because if imagine if we're all happy, we're not producing, we're not hustling, we're not striving, we're not struggling, we're not figuring stuff out, what are we doing? Chilling, relaxing. And I think if I have understood the universe right, right it, it, everything is either growing or dying, and nothing is standing still. And en- energy just transfers into new forms. There's chaos and order, you know, there's death and life. There is no stasis. Mm. So we naively, I believe, all of us go into a fantasy of I want it to be easy, I want it to be fun, I want it to be nice, I want everyone to be happy, I want to, you know, have the quality of life. But part of the quality of life is the endurance and the overcoming of the struggle and the challenge and the hardship. And the struggle and the challenge and the hardship, I believe, is there to force you to grow. And why do you need to grow? Because you need to evolve as a human being to your ever-increasing challenging environment. That's my theory. I'm so so pleased you brought it to this
1: because. So to- you said joy to av-
0: vive, but we need to produce. Yes. We agreed. need to
1: evolve. We need to grow, and we need challenge and stress to do that. Yes, but I'm, what I'm saying is, those, I'm not saying we should ignore those metrics. They're part, yeah, that they are a reflection of that challenge, and we are facing some of the greatest challenges that we've ever faced. Now you could so to bring that purpose evolution. Let's look at those two pieces. Hold me to account to answering the question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's look at that then. So, okay, let's fulfilment. Where does fulfilment come from? You know, because happiness. I'm happy to be here with you today, Rob. I'm having a lovely time. After this, I'll jump in a taxi, get caught in traffic. You know, perhaps not have enough time to grab any food at the station, and all of a sudden, my happiness has gone away. But it's, it's pre- because
0: <laughs> because happiness is a fantasy. It's fleeting. Yeah, it's fleeting. Ha- happiness is the reward. It's the chemical reward. The four kind of chemicals. That's what happiness
1: is. Fulfilment and happiness are very different. Yes. But, you know, take that example. I get in a taxi. I have like one minute to spare. I manage to still find a way to get some food in me before I get on the train. That brings me happiness. It's like, boom, problem solved. So is the purpose of life then purely to adapt and survive? You know, the, the humans, humans have shown yes. through history. But, but that- I would
0: say that the, the purpose of humanity on a macro level is to survive And how do we survive? We evolve through and react to our environment to overcome the challenges from the environment, whether it's other predators or, um, you know, the the weather or the geology or whatever. That, I believe, is I can't I'm not going to sit here and say I know the purpose of life. I'm going to say I believe that's closer to the purpose of life than happiness is. What's happiness? It's the reward. Mm. We need a reward to go through the challenge and the struggle. Otherwise, we're not going to bother. But would you agree, the harder the struggle, the greater the happiness reward you get at the end of it?
1: That's certainly been my experience.
0: Yeah, so yeah. if you run a marathon, you're going to feel better than, um, you know, if you jogged 20, 20 metres. Or at least afterwards, the euphoria and the feeling of, I overcame something, is going to be greater. So I believe, chemically, we're rewarded it directly linked to the scale of the problem that we overcome.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And fulfillment is going through challenges to have high level feelings of reward, to fill our voids. Ful- fulfill is to fill our voids. Happiness is the fleeting reward we get because we need some kind of reward, otherwise we're not going to go through the struggle. So this is what I think a lot of people at the moment, are oh, well, it's all about being happy and it's about work-life balance and it's about you know experiencing the joy of life and all of that kind of stuff. That, if you think that is the purpose of life, that is the outcome of life, that will create the biggest amount of unhappiness in your life because that is a naive fantasy. Yes. That's my theory. Yes, okay,
1: so let's bring it back to two fundamentals then. So the reason we went on this track is because the equation of what is GDP per capita, output as a, as a measure of standard of living, that does not account for all of those things that go into that. It doesn't account for, well, it accounts for only man's or humankind's move towards economic prosperity, which may encompass some of that challenge, overcoming the challenge, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't account for some of the variables. So the fact that we're talking here today about cancel culture, freedom of speech, um, the reality is we now live in a world of, of exponential technology, what we're seeing with AI and all of these different types of technologies that are growing, surveillance state, we could have, according to that metric of GDP, we could, in the age of automation and AI, we could radically transform production in terms of our output through those technologies. However, the human experience within that, you could take a culture where you could automate everything, you could cancel Free speech. What quality of life would we have left? And that's the point we're at this, this this unique juncture in history, which I find it. That's why it's very hard for me to answer the question: Musk, Branson, or these, because these individuals are a function of what's gone before us. But we're at this precipice now, where there's new types of technology. And talking about war, you know, I want to put it in the context of the war because we opened it up with this. We, off the back of World War Two, we had mutually assured destruction, meaning you've got a nuclear weapon here in your office, I've got one in mine. If you press yours, I'll press mine, we're all dead. So it gave us a sense of peace. We came peace through the threat of destruction. But the reality is with new forms of technology is that is no longer restricted to nation states. Anyone can take a drone, load it up with explosives and fly it into a building. So we've got a democratization of technology, some of which will have fantastic, positive, practical application. But we no longer live in a world where our uh, safety and security from a perspective of that level of destruction is limited to nation states or individual leaders. That's the reality. So we're at a point in history where the people we choose to govern the future from here need to have an understanding of the risks facing humanity as of today of those exponential technologies. Elon Musk, he's probably going to be closer to understanding what those are. But if his objective is to advance his own aims at the expense of other, uh, of other uh, variables, how can I vote for that guy without knowing what his intentions are? But even, even in the world of politics, we know it every single time you come to vote, we're going to do this, this and this and this. In history, how many times does a politician actually follow through what they're yeah. going to say, what yeah. they've said? It's complex, Rob. That's my, yeah. my message through all of this is we need to stop. reducing. Okay. so it's
0: complex and we can't reduce it into sound bites or binary decisions. I hear you. Yep. But each time you say things like that, for me, sometimes it's complex. It's a cop out from making a decision. Yep. So because I think the more you understand something, the more you realise there is beneath it. Mm. Um, and, you know, m- many people have said that the smarter they get, the, re- the more they realise they don't know. So if things are too complicated, we don't make any progress. Agreed. Because we just go, well, the 78 variables, I don't know. Yes. So Musk or the government? (laughs) Which government? Uh, Well, we'll go Musk or US government. Uh, 10 billion to progress humanity. I would take Musk over Biden. Yeah. Okay. And then Branson or the UK government? I would take Branson over the current UK government. Hmm. Because the, the things that entrepreneurs aren't often given credit for, whether the entrepreneur is... You know, still the main principal shareholder or where there is a lot of other shareholders is these are the people that have built the bridges. These are the people who've got rid of the uh, diseases and wiped out many diseases that previously wiped out, um, you know, nations. The the engineers are the people who have made this world more livable so that we can grow and evolve. And entrepreneurs often are engineer types who've learned to scale what they do and they're often not given credit for that. You know, you have to be an engineer to get oil, not, you know, not just a greedy capitalist. So actually entrepreneurs are often engineers that are progressing humanity. You know, you've got to drive here nice and easily um, and we can connect with each other um, that we wouldn't be able to do if it wasn't for the faster horse, which was Henry Ford's Model T Ford. So why is it that governments, especially in Farage, now Nigel Farage says to me, the government, the UK government, they have no respect for entrepreneurs, none, no respect for small businesses. (laughs) Do you think there's enough respect and support from the governments for entrepreneurs, creators, innovators and change
1: makers? Well, right now, absolutely not, which is ridiculous because we've, you know, in terms of cycles, we're on the downward slope. We're on the downward slope. So what will happen? The government will print more money or the, Central banks will print more money in order to try and drive uh, investment, but unless it's targeted to actually transforming the economy, the reality is these inflationary pressures. But this, this also but the government can help by
0: creating the right subsidies and the right tax breaks to create can. the right innovation. Yes, this is what this is what they've done in the past. If they need certain innovations or production, give entrepreneurs some subsidies and some tax breaks and some rewards to go and figure that out.
1: Yep. Where are they? they? There aren't (laughs)
0: any. The government only know in my... And I asked you the question, but you've thrown back at me. In my opinion, the government know one way to generate revenue, and that is to increase tax. Mm. Do they not know that there's another way? And that's called create incentives for increased production, output, industry innovation, etc. I mean, have you, have you ever heard of the, I think it, it's now called the Ansari X Prize, I think. Mm. But basically, entrepreneurs will go, there's a problem I need solving. Million pound prize for anyone who can solve this problem that can build this piece of innovation. This is what entrepreneurs do. The governments could do that. I mean, it's been done in the past. Whatever the government need fixing... Give some rewards for entrepreneurs say, right, entrepreneurs, come and sort this out and that out and this out and that out. Make this faster. Make this better. That's what entrepreneurs do. But there seems to be this divide between entrepreneurs and government. I'm an entrepreneur and I know a lot of entrepreneurs. And um, Nearly every entrepreneur I know fucking hates the government mm. because they feel like they're thieves. Mm. They're, they're getting their guaranteed pay. They know nothing about business and they are systematically ruining our ability to trade freely and fairly. Now, I don't mind paying tax, but there's a a limit which over it feels really penal. And we're way over that now. If I do more work and create more revenue and more products and more services and more innovation, at the moment, 70% of it goes to the government. Mm. And then what do they do with it? (laughs)
1: What do they do with it? Well, I mean, this is where I think the question of revolution... The reality is, let's look at the economic cycle right now. We're on a decline. The question is, where is the, where is the investment in the future? It's absent. What we are witnessing and what we will see, and this is a predictable pattern, every economic cycle shows it, we will see an increase in taxation on those who have the most assets. Now there are people, but those people are the ones that create and produce and fuel up the GDP. So yeah, there's a there's a time and place to, to to tax wealth. It's not when you're in a deflationary cycle, but it's a challenge because you've got the government needs to increase revenue in order to to spend more, but it can't continue to print money because it drives inflation, devalues the currency. So it's this, but that, this is why at the end of the economic order, which we're we're coming towards. We see that discrepancy because what will simultaneously happen, and you'll notice it now. This, you know, talking about uh, America and China earlier on. Watch now how the world's elite, the wealthiest uh, companies, the wealthiest individuals, will start sympathising with China. Why? Because that is likely to be the next global economic power. They can't be seen to be adverse to China's uh, pursuits because what will happen is that it will, it will cost them because the moment. National governments start taxing the wealthiest individuals in their nation, the wealthiest companies, they move. They move their assets, they offshore them, which then eventually harms the, uh, the economy. But all the while, the wealth gap still continues to, to grow within the domestic economy, which means that you get a group of people whose standard of living suffers. We're already seeing that almost overnight. They, blame, they will blame the, the, the upper echelons of society. And this cycle will perpetuate... It will just keep going so when it comes back to this conversation of evolution you know your example earlier on saying are oh, we going back to kind of Neanderthals I don't think we are I think we're moving forward but it is our greatest challenge at this moment in time we either will collapse in the chaos or we will transcend and we will adapt and survive but we're in a unique terrain that's why I keep coming back to this is a very different time economically politically So many similarities to history. It's predictable. History will show that, you know, we could argue that history isn't a predictor of the future. The only way we can uh, to to prove that incorrect is by learning from history today and evolving tomorrow. Because the reality is, if we don't change something now, we're just going to continue in the same pattern. What needs to change then? Well, I think it's our own consciousness. It comes back down to our own individual ability to make sense of the world. You know, it's uh, it's it's it's. Technology in the economy has progressed so fast that human consciousness has not adapted with it. You know, we need to break, you know, the, the Age of Enlightenment where we saw the separation of religion and uh, science. People search for meaning. The, 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 the man's search for meaning has is, is, is transformed. That's why now we see whatever the latest social media cause is, it doesn't matter. What's the flavour of the week? Yesterday it's vaccines, today it's Ukraine, what's tomorrow? Whatever the flavour of the week is, we're externalising our sense of meaning. It takes us to bring that back inside, to really understand those big questions that we've been asking. What is our meaning and purpose? We have to evolve our way to think. We have to evolve the way we look at today's problems. It may take entrepreneurs, but it may also take other people to start to look at these systemic threats and understand how do we create an anti-fragile environment that is not so vulnerable to what we're witnessing right now. Because we started by talking about polarization. Right now, social media, there'll be people watching this who are like, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Already there were the people who have definitely disagreed with our decisions about who we were voted for. We could fall out about that. You know, Someone could have been following either one of us for years, decades, because of one thing we said, all of a sudden, it's changed. That's the reality of the world we live in right now. We simplify things so much. Social- and, and
0: we're always always so triggerable. Triggered, and we you know we want to be offended, and we want to be noticed, yep. and we want to be angry with everyone else. Yeah, I I do think this. I hadn't really thought that consciousness was the answer. You know, I said earlier that I thought maybe an understanding of each other's values would be the answer, but actually managing our own emotions and having a balanced view of every situation, I would argue that that could be a way towards progress. You know. Everything we've talked about today, Dan, you and I—if I tasked you of creating an upside of a four-day work week and me a downside of a four-day work week, because that's one of the things in proposal at the moment, which I'm quite frankly against—I would say that I've got a load of staff up there. We could create an upside or a downside, but the problem with humanity is because we're emotional and we get triggered. If it's upside, it's good. If it's downside, it's bad. If I like it, it's good. If I don't like it, it's bad. If I like you, it's good. If I don't like you, it's bad. If I agree with you, it's good. If I disagree with you, it's bad. But people who I think who have transcended, whether it's enlightenment or self-mastery or they've made a lot of money, they understand neutrality and balance, you know, where everything has a polar opposite, but always fighting to bring us back into balance. So if everyone stopped getting triggered on social media, for example, and everyone went, oh, you made an interesting point I didn't necessarily agree with. And let me do some research on that. You may or may not be wrong, but I'm going to go and research that and come back to you. If everyone reacted like that to a challenge, imagine how much better the world would be. But I think we're so much highly more triggerable now because we're stuck to this device. And it's like, fuck you, you know, you're this, you're that, you're addicted to to this device. But this device that you and I met on, that we're now friends on, and we can share Pantera songs on. (laughs) So I think understanding that everything has an upside and a downside and being able to move into neutrality and not always be triggered and not getting your significance and your importance from
1: being triggered. I wonder if that might move us towards a solution. Well, I think that's an incredible part of it, Rob, because, uh, and Aubrey Marcus uh, calls this united polarity. It's the recognition that we can hold different perspectives, we can have different polarities, but we can still hold ourselves in reverence of one another. We can still respect each other as humans. And actually, part of the reason why I come coming back to complexity, why well, you're absolutely right, you know, it still requires us to make important decisions. And in fact, right now, the metaphor right now is, you know, the idea that we're on a, we're on a, we're in the Arctic, we're on a barge, we can see we're heading for an iceberg. We can pontificate about how to avoid the iceberg, but by the time we figure it out, it's too late. Someone has to grab the wheel now and turn it, because if we don't, we're gonna hit the iceberg. It's, it's a, that's the reality of it. So I recognize the importance of being able to make decisive decisions, but we similarly need to be able to assess where we are in the terrain. You know, if, the, if, if it's a dark night and we think that's an iceberg in front of us, is it, you know, are we, are we misreading where we are? We need to know where we are and, and, and how, what, our, what our challenges are. The reality is we're so caught up in the micro details of COVID, Brexit, we're missing the big picture. So many, even, even some of the world's greatest investors have missed the big picture, the big economic cycles because we're so zoomed in on the micro. We've got to zoom out and, and then zoom in, but be able to hold that space and say, I see you say this and you say that and recognise and hold it without judging you know, that's where it comes into that spirituality piece as well, because, the, you know, the religious texts of old will say, you know, that it's a sin to judge in that way. Yeah, we're doing it all the time. And it's easy through a screen. You can say anything you like about Rob and I on, on social media. Go on, bring it. <laughs> Let's have it. Half of you commenting won't even have like
0: your face shown on your profile picture. You know, someone said this was a man bag and this was a gun <laughs> holster. So I saw that. Earlier.
1: I can verify that it's not. But, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but, but this is the point, we, we need to be able to get to the point where we can... Tra- transcendence is the word because we... David has said they're critical thinking as well. Critical yeah. thinking. Learning how to evaluate the situation that we're facing requires us to be able to seek multiple perspectives. In fact, innovation, creativity, the best companies, the best innovations come in the, wo- in the world because we connect with people who think differently to us. If we all felt the same, we would see the same thing this, from the same angle. And by the way, if we do that, we just live in a, you know, this, 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 this world where there is no uniqueness. You know, part of the thing that makes us magical as human beings is the fact that we are so different. That's mm. the beauty, the rich tapestry of what makes us unique. But we just need to bring that respect back. Human values is a certain point. Love, respect, kindness, compassion. How do we get that? You know, we've got the technology. You know, there's the, the old moral debate of whether a gun is inert. If we manufacture a gun, we put it there, take it out of your gun holster, (laughs) and we put it there, what
0: purposes does that gun have? That gun has no purpose, that gun has no consciousness, that gun is inert, that gun is a tool that is created by humanity. A hammer is the same and money is the same. That gun only becomes a thing. The money only becomes a thing. The hammer only becomes a thing when the intention, the consciousness of the human being uses the tool. Now, you could use a gun to defend yourself, um, protect yourself, or you could use a gun to murder. You could use a hammer to hammer in a nail. It's a pretty good lever, isn't it, a hammer? I mean, would you rather hammer in a nail with your hand or with a... A hammer, would you rather pull a nail out with your own fingernails or a hammer? But I could take that hammer and I could smash your head in and murder you in cold blood. But here's the thing, we don't try the hammer for murder. Mm -hmm. You know, that hammer doesn't go on trial. It's the human being that used the tool for nefarious means. That's the gun. The gun has no consciousness. It's inert. It's a tool. But here's the thing, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. Money is a tool like the hammer and like the gun. We put a gun and a hammer and some money on this table, this table that isn't also a thing until we make it a thing. It's, it doesn't exist until there's intention
1: and energy from us put into it. That's my view of the gun. Interesting. So and I, I agree with you, but I also want to add a different perspective and challenge. So the gun here, you're absolutely right. It can just sit there. We could just see it as an ornament, if you like. It's a fancy piece of metal. But where was the, Where does the intent begin? Did it begin in the, in the process? Why would you manufacture a gun if it wasn't to attack or defend in the way that you decided?
0: Well, yeah, you, it could have been created for a, a different function. I, I don't actually know the history. I did watch the Smith & Wesson documentary. But no, I, I can't remember why the gun was created. But you're assuming it's either to defend or, or attack. attack. But it might not have been. Because penicillin was an accident, yep, and Post-it play. note yep, was an accident. Yep,
1: fair challenge. So I, I don't know so is a the fair answer. Challenge. It's but original it, intent, but my point yeah, is, but, the it, but it could
0: have had neither of those yes, intents. Yep,
1: yep. Yeah. 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 I mean, it could be an accident. It could have been a creation. But but the the fact that they discovered this way to
0: it could have been used to start a um race. It may have been. There you go. It may have been. <laughs> it probably but wasn't my, used my to start point a race. My is,
1: was <laughs> we deem it to be a note. It doesn't have consciousness. In the manufacturing pro- process, we we embed possible intent. It's like potential, human potential. In itself, it's inert. But if it's utilised, it comes to life. It's a tool. Here's the thing. All tools that
0: aid or devolve humanity were created by humanity. So it's just a manifestation of humanity. Agreed. I do agree. And it has no values, no consciousness, no emotion. It has no intent. Money is made by machines that are made by man so i know you used the gun analogy but i love to use the money analogy because by the way the money can create the gun this is how else do you make a gun without money to to buy it or money get profit for making it
1: well my question was this is is the intent some way embedded in its manufacturing and the reason i use the gun is because it's primarily used for attack or defense yes it might be a, a paperweight you know whatever artistic thing but if the des- in its design, its function, in its manufacturing, the use case is predetermined in many ways. Let's contrast but that, that with- which came from the intent of humanity, Absolutely. which could have evolved yes. from a
0: different intent. It still comes from... Our- Let's just jump in this yeah. real quick. Sorry, I just want... we need to say... Jazz has said, Rob, money is root of all evil. Well, it's put with context, but then you can't say money is root of all evil with context. That's a paradox. How can you say the root of all of something but with context? Money is not the root of all evil. It is, it is not the root of all evil because money is neutral and money is inert. What's the root of all evil is evil. I could, I haven't got any money. <laughs> well, but, I, could, I could give you $100 yep. or I could steal $100 from you. I could take $100 and give them to a load of kids in the developing world to eat and drink. I could take $100 and buy a a magazine of bullets and go and shoot those same kids. It wasn't money. Yes. Money is not the root of all evil. I'm sorry, but religion was wrong. Money is not the root of all evil. The root of all evil is humanity, but the root of all good is humanity. The root of all good is money, if the root of all evil is money. But money isn't evil. Money is a tool, a conduit of evil, and the evil comes from the person. So people, when they say money is the root of all evil, make the wrong, wrong assumption that anyone rich is evil. Because anyone who says here, money is the root of all evil, you are saying all rich people are evil. That is an outrageous thing to <laughs> yes, say. That's yes, like saying, all, if I said all women are evil, I'd get flambasted <laughs> on social media. Yeah, yeah. What was it that was said in, in the Bible? Something like there's more likelihood of a camel going through the, the eye of a needle than a rich man going to the kingdom of God. That is wrong. That is fear based fiction.
1: Anyway sorry i just wanted to so, jump in so on so so i used the example of the gun but i would even argue <laughs> that my my ex, you know, i don't agree i you know i think the, the, so what i'm what i'm trying to get at is i think there's the human consciousness and our our intent but i also believe that the intent is baked into it the gun is built to attack or defend. yeah money, because the
0: intent created the form to do the thing therefore the exactly, form has the function of the thing exactly but so
1: I, the same is with my but I, I just believe
0: that's a, a moot point in that... Whether the intent is within the embodiment, like the intent of this watch is to tell time, but human beings created time.
1: Yes, I agree. So, but let me let's let's take money. So, money is a mode of transaction, its intent is to transact, it's transacting. It doesn't in, have any intent, but, it, it it is neutral, it doesn't have any intent. Without human beings, well, we give it meaning, we give it yeah. meaning, we produce it, we give, it meaning. We give it, yeah. it meaning, but we produce so it, it has no intent. Until we give it the meaning of it's a means of exchange exactly be, until we put energy into it and to a shared, use as, as a, a tool. shared understanding of what that meaning is because yeah. if you and I had two banknotes and you said no this is this is absolutely not for spending this is this is a unique note from the first ever print press it has it would have no mode of exchange today I couldn't take yeah. it to a shop and spend yeah. it. it's a completely different meaning we have yeah. a different meaning. But I think we have to recognise that some of that meaning, once it's manufactured, it's use case, it's function. So let's take Facebook. Facebook's goal is to get our attention in order to serve us advertising. It's its business model. But also if we look at that, how we use Facebook is down to us, you're right. But what happens? People who agree with you and I, Rob, will see more content like this. Because the purpose of Facebook is to get your attention. But you could make the same argument that Facebook is inert, but the algorithm is not inert. I wouldn't
0: make the same assumption that Facebook is inert.
1: Well, it's just a piece because, of technology. No, but world, it's a tool know? that's
0: actually working right now. It's like, to compare it to the gun, the gun would have to be fired because right. so Facebook is actually working right working. now. It's, it's just working. it's not sitting there and no one's logged in Very interesting. to it.
1: So we're getting deep here. This is philosophy. <laughs> Let's jump in on something
0: else here. <laughs> yeah. So I'm getting corrected and I'm really glad I'm getting corrected here. <laughs> Oh, Rob, it's not that money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. I'm sorry, but that is also wrong. By the way, I respect your opinion and your view. And we're even reading the comments and sharing them back. And I'm not going to cancel you or deplatform platform you or ban you. But if I believe you are wrong, or you've been indoctrined to believe something that I believe isn't right, I will tell you the love of money is not the root of all evil. Evil is the root of all evil. I love money. I'm not evil. You have to now say yes or no to this. Don't give me a political answer. Do you love money more than you hate money? Yes or no? Yes. So you love money. Therefore, you're evil. I love money. Therefore, I'm evil because the love of money is the root of all evil. Many of you on this live who say the love of money is the root of all evil. At times, you love money. When your money buys you your house or your car or your food, you love money. But when someone takes some money to buy a gun and point it in your face, you don't love money. The love of money is not the root of all evil. Evil is the root of all evil. And where does evil come from? It comes from humanity. So humanity, because when you say money and the love of money is the root of all evil, what do you do? You move humanity's responsibility for the actions. And you say, well, it's money's fault. It's billionaire's fault. No, it's
1: not. Well, this is, we're on the right track here, in my, in my view. So this, is, this is, it's about understanding responsibility. It's about understanding meaning. But this is also links back to evolution. Are we on an upward trend? If you look through history from where we've come from, where we were living off the land, we were cave, living in cave dwellers, you, you had to have families of 10, 20, 30 children to, to survive. Mm. We've come so far. We've, we've, we've made so much progress. But we're at a fork in the road now, in terms of where we go. Oh, look
0: court. what you just did there! You just created an A or B scenario. I created, oh, you? <laughs> the yeah. thing you're no, telling people yeah, not know. to do. Yeah, yeah, I reckon there's a lot of forks in the road. Well, there are lots go of on, forks. Go on, tell in us what road. this
1: fork in the road is. It's the choice between self-termination, becoming the uh, 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 victims of our own ingenuity, or whether we transcend. we we are on this cycle right now. The world is changing. We have the technology that can simultaneously save the world and we have the technology that can simultaneously destroy it. And now it's all in our own hands. It's in the hands of the user. This is why it's so different from any time in history.
0: So you think we are, in some ways, then democratised and decentralised? In now. some
1: ways, in some ways. We've got a long way to go, I think. Yeah. But, but it's, 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 the tools of change are there as much as the tools mm. of destruction. But again, it comes down to the choice that we make. But the important thing is that we must get into the zone of being willing to make a choice because we can stand back. But also in your discussion there, you know, and here's the interesting point. You came to a point of disagreement with someone in conversation. What happens is what happens when someone disagrees with us? We go and we, we tend to go deeper into our own perspective. We hold on more tightly. We we think we've, you know, by saying our point of view, it's going to change someone's mind. The opposite usually happens. It usually drives us into our polarities. But the polarities are fine as long as we can hold them with reverence. Unless someone's open-minded
0: to learn. Well, absolutely. And by the way, I've had the debate on money being the root of all evil and the love of money being the root of all evil for 15 years. <laughs> it's not like it's first time. Yeah. And if someone challenged me and I, and I thought, oh, you might be right, I, I would listen. I do read a lot of the comments. Mm. I do listen. But um, in this one, I've had this discussion for 15 years. Yes. And I... Like, Anything that takes the responsibility away from human beings, I think we become a cause, not effect. Yes. And we, we go blame rather than responsibility. And I believe change only comes from responsibility, not blame, from cause, not effect. They're my fundamental beliefs. And yes. that they, may be, they may be wrong, but I know I can change the way I respond to a situation. I have at times tried to change a situation. I've done visualisation, meditation and incantations. I remember doing Tony Robbins saying, going, saying to Mark, oh, there won't be a recession of 2008. I'm positive. And it freaking happened. And Mark was like, "Ah, your personal development seminars didn't get rid of that recession. So there's external events you cannot control. But what people do is, oh, uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's an ex- external factor. Mm-hmm. So I believe personal responsibility and cause... And you changing or being responsible for the way you perceive something, I believe that is within our power. Agreed. And I believe if people make comments that are outside of their power, you know, people say tax billionaires more. No, you start a business and be an entrepreneur and earn a load more. Because one, that will help the economy. Two, you'll make more money. And three, you just saying taxing billionaires more in your pants at home, you know, eating crisps. It's not going to fucking change anything. So I'm all about taking personal responsibility and understanding the difference between what you can control and what you can't control. So that's where I I come from. Let me ask you something, because we didn't go there yet. Yeah, sure. I don't know how long we've done, but (laughs) you might need a hotel for the night. You were planning to go back today. (laughs) Um, We didn't yet talk about globalization versus decentralization. And we nearly raised it there. So um, there is actually a war on globalization right now. There's people talking about the New World Order and the Rothschilds and Schwab and this world elite and they control, control everything and own nothing and be happy and, you know, blah, blah. They will get rid of the middle class and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But decentralization, you could be a podcaster, you can be a YouTuber, you can use big tech to get hundreds or thousands or millions of fans. Cryptos and finance, DeFi is a thing and decentralization of banking, what do you think about the decentralization movement? Because I think that that's a, quite
1: a positive move at the moment. It's a massive, this is, it's a massive opportunity. To me, it's, it, here's, well, here's where it gets interesting from a cycle's point of view. This is a classic, it's cause and effect. So we, we, we swing in pendulums. So we, we're now too far extended on the centralization. We recognize it. So we're back the other way. Decentralized decentralization. decentralization comes with its own problems. Of course, I believe it is part of the solution of today, but the reality is we need some level of coordination. You need some level of leadership. Leadership. You need yeah. some level of efficiency, but decentralize decentralization right now gives the power back to the people.
0: But you only get a decentralization movement when you had too much centralization. That becomes a trigger. It's like, leverage. It gives a yeah, trigger It'll against trigger central banks, for yes. example, or yep. you know. Globalisation of one great world government. So it's a
1: response. It's become yes. a response yeah. to what's going on. But it also comes back to that notion of responsibility because right now we can... And this is this is part of my frustration with all of these conversations about whether it's New World Order. It's easy to point the finger at the government. It's easy to say, oh, it's Klaus Schwab, WEF, the war in Ukraine. It's easy to externalise and put the locus of control, our ability to change things outside ourselves. Mm. Decentralisation is something that's going to transform. It has the potential to redistribute power, control, money, etc. And the opportunity is in everyone's hands. But if we're stuck pointing fingers, saying it's us and them. And by the way, if we stay in us and them, we're not evolving our consciousness. We're not entering into that united polarity. We're not having harmony and respect for others. And love for money. I've never known... The only only love that's going to cause harm is the love of evil. You know that's 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 the reality decentralization right now offers some of the greatest opportunities it has the seeds of change in it but it also has the seeds of the the, the next advancement of human uh, adaptation and survival the seeds of where we need to go as a planet that will prevent us going from the the collapse through chaos into that transcendence i believe is is there within decentralized technology whether it's decentralization of media finance education food production There is is infinite benefits. But the reality is right now, guess who the people are who are looking to utilise decentralisation? Big tech. Big tech. The (laughs) ones who already hold the power because we're too busy blaming those who created the problems in the world to sit down and say, how do we become active participants in change? The biggest message I can possibly share on my own podcast is become an active participant in change. So actually this is
0: why I do this. And I think this is one of the reasons we have this discussion. Like, I don't, I'm not a fighter. There's no point giving me a gun. I can't go and stand on the border between Russia and Ukraine. That's not how I can help. I'm not a war expert uh, and I'm not a tech expert. But I used to think, oh, well, I can't make a difference then. So I'll just crack on running my business and doing my thing and being me. But I have learned through doing a few videos on things like COVID and then on Putin and the war, actually, I've gained millions of views. I've had thousands of shares per video and I can do my bit. Mm. And I think if every one of us, instead of going, the billionaires should do that, the government should do that, which, by the way, I've said the government should do that. But at least I'm campaigning for what I think is positive change. But actually, if all of us just posted things on social media that were of these world views, with the view to creating a productive outcome, whatever we believe that to be. So for you and I, it's hopefully awareness and education and decision and responsibility and linking it to business and entrepreneurship and creation and productivity, etc. But I now know I can make a difference by speaking up instead of hiding, standing up instead of standing back, taking some risks. We both risk every day being cancelled. We know that day could come. So I would just say to everyone watching, what you strongly believe that's good for you and good for the world and right for the people, you can make a difference. And what we used to do is sign petitions. That really does fuck all. But a million views on every video does a lot more than 10 or 100,000 signatures.
1: So we can all do our bit. Well, to me, I agree. And it, it, it's the, the platforms right now may not be fit for purpose for what we need the world to, to, to in order to evolve to the next stage, but it can help the conversation. But move the internet towards.
0: wasn't when it was designed and now look at it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But so it creates a platform for us to have the conversation about the things that can enable us to enter into that new phase of tra- transcendence. The reality is the old adage of be the change you want to see to me is, is the most powerful conversation. If you If you are someone who wants to experience freedom, peace, love, joy, then if you're waiting for someone else to bring you freedom, peace, love, and joy, you may be waiting a lifetime. There's, there's, there's an idea that our, inner world is a refle- our outer world is a reflection of our inner world. If we become free, if we become peaceful, if we become joyful, if we become prosperous, then one by one, As individuals, we get to create that shift in the world because after all, society, organizations, companies, institutions, governments, they are individuals, but we dehumanize it. That's why you said who who runs the world? No one's got a name because we're so quick to say, oh, it's the WEF, or it's this institution giving away our power to an external source. That's why I get so mad. And People say, Dan, why do you talk about this? Why do you talk about that? Because all it does is take away your personal power. And all I want for you is to be empowered so that you can move towards whatever your values are, whether that's freedom, peace. For me, it's freedom, peace, love, joy, growth, prosperity. You know, if I can find them in me and create the space through content like this to other people to ponder, mm, what are my values and how do I meet those? And then how do I become a ripple effect in the world? Well, then we do create change. If, if each one of us decides that we want to find inner peace and the reality is it wouldn't take too long to us to find greater peace in the world. But we've got to make that decision. We can't sit back watching and saying, so it's down to the billionaires to bring me peace. Mm. Well,
0: what's that saying? I think he passed away recently, but there is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way there is no way to change. Change is the way there is no way to a solution. The solution is the way. So instead of looking for something external to happen, start creating the change within yourself. Um, Someone who's clearly a fan of yours, Dan, and not mine, said, (laughs) I look like a poster boy for motivational speaking that people roll their eyes at. But this brings me to another important point, energy. I think that energy, there he goes, he said, this dude is like a walking motivational poster people roll their eyes at. I've never seen a walking motivational poster, but that's one of my favourite critics comments of the week. I actually really like that. So thank you, talking out loud. Um, But let's talk about this point, energy. Would you agree there's been a collective reduction in energy and vibration? Yes. And would you agree that if we could increase that energy and vibration, i.e. maybe it coming from ourselves, being productive and positive as well as being realistic and, you know, looking to inspire and motivate people to change.
1: Would you agree the world needs that? A hundred percent. This is, to me, is where transcendence comes from, Rob. It it comes from within. You know, historic, again, it's going back to that piece of enlightenment versus religion versus science. It's almost like they got divorced and you could have one or the other. Mm. and, And how much of our culture is binary like that? It's this or that. An abundant mind does not ever say this or that. Yeah, We can have faith in science, but you can, if you wish, have a faith in God. I, I, I have a spiritual path. I don't have a religious path. But either way, if we find something within ourselves, our, our own energy, that, that source within us, and we bring a greater positive energy to the world, and we take responsibility for the way we show up, that for me is part of the change. Mm. Someone asked me during the G7 meeting in Cornwall, What's the what's the one thing we could do to transform the future of the world if G seven are responsible? And I said, lace the water with psychedelics and watch. <laughs> <laughs> and, what? Because? And I I I, I only have I, you had ayahuasca then? No, I've not had ayahuasca. DMT. No, I've not had DMT. Oh, okay. I'm curious. I'm definitely I'm uh, definitely uh, curious. Some how- of
0: the mushrooms that are high up on the list in Holland. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what? You were being flippant there, but are are you saying that? We've been serious. Can... No, I'm being serious. So so not in the terms of... Are you talking about connecting, talk... getting rid of ego, opening up the third talk... eye, all of this sort of stuff? I'm
1: talking about, yes, transcending our sense of self, seeing something that we are here for a higher purpose. We're here for something beyond ourselves, even if that's just adapting and survival. Um whatever it is, is to get beyond ourself, because this is a function of all the arguments and wars. It's, it's our ability to cling on to our own I- sense of identity. And identity has been fragmented into a million pieces. You know, you and I, you could dissect our identity just on this conversation. Already we've seen people say, uh, you know, that people are showing up in their comments, rejecting part of who you are. We reject, we reject people based upon our sense of what their uh, identity is. We need to get beyond that egoic mind, where it's 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 a simp- We live in this reductionist, simplistic uh, way of living. Our ability to but harm. Doesn't a- ego drive progress?
0: Like you, I, I listened. Sorry, I know you haven't finished, but we've done that a lot to each other. But I was thinking there, um, if we just transcend all identity, we wouldn't. You and I love Pantera. Well, Phil Anselmo was an angry, angry man. Still, probably still is. And were he to lose his identity of anger, we wouldn't have had Pantera. That's true. So we wouldn't have had Will Smith if he didn't have his identity of always wanting to please people and being that person that always wanted to avoid conflict because of the mild abuse abuse he had from his dad. So I hear transcending identity because, in a way, I like that because it it gives me the ability to solve problems. Like I was thinking today, what if my wife had an affair? And I know it sounds like a morbid thought. I thought, why would that be a bad thing? Why does it have to be a bad thing? Why does it have to be against me? Why would it mean that I'm not a significant enough male human being who can't please a woman? And I don't know why I was thinking that. I think it's because she's been out a lot lately and hasn't (laughs) told me where she was, and my brain started doing that. But why do I have to have the identity of that? Why couldn't I liberate and free that? And why does that matter? And if she did, is it just part of the journey? So, in that regard, it can be good to lose the identity of a proud male husband who's a good entrepreneur, rah. But I, w- I really want Phil Selmo, Anna Selmo, to be an angry guy so I can listen to Pantera. So, if we don't have any identity, we don't have specialists. What well, true. do you think about that? You want
1: Phil Anselmo to be Phil Anselmo. It doesn't matter what made what led to him being Phil Anselmo. You want but him he, to be... he needs
0: an Id- If he loses his identity, he starts playing folk music. Well, he might do. We don't want that shit. <laughs> <Might> be, <laughs> we <laughs> don't want be the best that.
1: folk music in the world. <laughs> um, but, but but that point, you know, we're not, are we actually? You know, I believe who we are is much more than our choice in music. The you know the, the labels we put upon ourselves. But we just live in this reductionist world. The reality is, I What's find. What's a reductionist world in a sentence? It, 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 it's, it's just taking the complexity of life and just simplifying all right. it. To, to, yeah, I get beyond it. All, beyond all. Like a you. Yeah, yeah. It's reducing it down to <laughs> just a very small. But the thing is, I personally find joy in the belonging of not belonging. I don't want to fit into the crowd. I don't want to conform with whatever other people's expectations are for me. I spent my lifetime conforming what other people... You know, we have our own beliefs about ourselves that kind of determine the kind of actions we take and how we see ourselves in the world around us. But we also have expectations of how we think other people, in the context of your wife, you're starting to project, what is, that, what is someone else thinking of me? And we live up to those expectations of how we think other people see us. So we're trapped. We're never truly free when we're living mm. in that sense of identity. Mm. To me freedom in many ways is to liberate ourselves from being, the, the fear of being judged mm. you know that just hundred percent relinquish that so i find the joy of belonging and not belonging you know and i've got a you know i've got a friend who chooses to, to eat a, a vegan diet but she will not call herself a vegan or enter in vegan circles because she has to feel like she has to conform to the norms of the group mm. because we're pack animals we have this herd, herd herd kind of identity group identity but the problem is when you exist in silos you, you, you do everything you possibly can to validate your existing biases, mm. your existing worldview, and you reject all else. You create us and them situations, you create enemies. If we transcend that ego, we've gone beyond that and say, cool, I choose not to do, you know, you make your choices, you make yours. I may not agree with your choices. Either way, I respect them, and I don't judge you for them. Mm. It takes relinquishing the EU to do that. So in many ways. I think what we're on the precipice of, in terms of the revolution. I think we will see in the next twelve months something that was very much akin to. I feel like I've got a prediction a coming. I'm getting excited. No, it, history shows hey, us the way. You think? You think something? A bomb's going? Well, there's plenty of bombs going off right now. But it, I, 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 I think the situation in Ukraine will get worse. We'll see civil. We'll see civil unrest in United Kingdom, US, Western economies. People are going to feel the pinch of the standard of living. Already they're seeing it. I mean, this week my energy bills went up double. My yeah. phone bill's gone up ten percent. I went to get some fuel for the car. I'm like, "Were you kidding me?" You know, yeah. it's, it's all going up. How many people's wages are going up in alignment with that with that with that inflation? Oh,
0: there's so, there's going to be so much anger, and normally you get a revolution after. There's two ways that will yeah. unfold.
1: Yeah with violence or with peace. Right. What happened in the 1960s, and I've made this comparison with my audience so many times, the similarities are unprecedented. You've got war, pandemic, global unrest, identity crisis, pursuit for breaking down systems of power. All of the symptoms are the same. I think we'll see something that was very much akin to the summer of love. And what what happened with the summer of love, psychedelics, that's why I made that reference, because it wow. takes it takes us outside of ourselves. It wouldn't surprise you. So are you committing
0: on here to take ayahuasca? I will take ayahuasca. Yeah. Should we do a, a live interview? on it yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't think we should do it in the studio though rob i think that's most no i don't think we'll have any profound in in the amazon take a
0: few cameras to the amazon
1: yeah take a few cameras to the amazon i'll I'll, yeah i'll join you on that trip um but 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 i that scares me by the way that scares the heck out of me to be quite frank um but there are different ways that we can get outside of ourselves you know whether it's breathing techniques mindfulness um, you, you know, participatory experiences. We, we hosted a drum circle, a virtual drum circle within our community. Everyone's playing in sync. It creates harmony, it creates yeah. rhythm, but people are present. It gets us out of our thinking mind and it gets us into this moment so we can truly experience where mm-hmm. we are and what we're doing. We need to be, be permeated. We need to break out of this kind of, I'm on a total run here, but we need to get out of this kind of like us and them mentality the trigger alert, you know, cause and effect. It's what leads to wars. Mm. We need to come back to ourselves. We can still enjoy all the joys of life. We can still enjoy all the technology, but it's the way in which we operate. Our sense of meaning, our relationship with the world, the relationship with each other, our relationship with ourselves, is to me what transcendence is about. And we need to find ways to encourage people to find that point of transcendence so that they can find personal responsibility to me, it's about personal empowerment, it's about personal responsibility, it's about self-determination, it's about higher consciousness. Yes, it's about decentralisation, but we do need a counterculture revolution. We need yeah. it mm. this summer. I think we'll see the, the greatest shifts in human consciousness at the same time as the greatest shifts in political, social uh, dynamics. That sounds like the perfect end. What do you reckon? <laughs> I think so. We started with the title revolution. Did you get yeah, all your stuff covered? Did we, are we on the precipice of revolution? I suppose you asked me that. Let me ask you the same. Are we on the precipice of a revolution? I
0: think we are, yeah. I think there's a lot of things that seem to be at some kind of fever pitch. Whether it's our emotion seems to be at fever pitch. The markets seem to be at fever pitch. By the way, not necessarily positive, but you know, at a point of of some kind of bubble bursting, if you like. I think that there's a lot of unrest and anger with government and dictatorship and totalitarianism. I think the prices are so high, there's going to be anger and outrage with the, the cost of living because we're getting hit every which way. Yep. Inflation is way up, but interest rates are really low. Um, so your cash is getting eroded, but you can't earn on it. Like hiring people is really hard, mm. but wages are higher. But cost of living is going up much higher. Yeah. Fuel prices, food prices, energy prices, taxes is where it's all against us and nothing's for us. So, yeah, I think we are building towards a pressure cooker effect where something has to give. Now, I can't make a bullish prediction on what I think that will be. I do think the markets will have to correct at some time because I think asset prices are high. They've been pushed up through inflation, QE, lack of, um, you know, the, the reduction of the supply chain because of the lockdowns. Um, and, of course, if you get market corrections, you're going to get fear into the market. You're going to get people selling assets on the cheap. You're going to have companies go bust and things all, um, you know, there'll be blood on the streets there. But, yes, financially, something's got to correct. Emotionally, something's got to correct from an information and a freedom point of view something's got to correct. I just don't know what that correction is. If it's one thing, it might be a, a it might
1: be a, a few little things. Mm. Um, they're my thoughts. I'll ask you a final question on Go this on, because I think what there's so much happening in the world right now. Getting the balance between remaining informed but not only informed in a way that we just default to our trusted sources that confirm our biases. Mm. Remaining informed in a way that actually gives us a breadth of understanding. Today, we've, we've explored a number of perspectives. We've danced around with the ideas, and we've been able to do that. How, do, how would you suggest to people that they can remain informed but remain productive? Because right now, you can feel pressure on the, the economy, you can feel the weight of that on your shoulders, which is, for many people, this puts you into fear. Mm. How, you, you know, we need to get people out of fear and into abundance in order that they can then act. Yeah. Okay.
0: So a few things. I think number one is you have got to find out what your purpose and mission is, because imagine if you don't really know what you're supposed to do with your life, but you're full of all this energy and angst. Mm. That's obviously going to leak out in unproductive and possibly self-destructive ways. So if you have a calling, if you have a vision and a mission. So I always lean back on being an entrepreneur and doing what I do because it's sort of therapy for me, it's focus for me, it's where I can channel my energy when I'm pissed off about the world or the government, I could put it into production and creativity and innovation. So it really is, it's a physical outlet, but it's a very therapeutic outlet. So I'd say for stage one for everyone, how can you turn this energy and this angst and this frustration you've got into productivity? Now, I'm not necessarily saying build a manufacturing plant or design a pattern. But for you, some people put it into football, some people put it into martial arts. That would, for me, if, if we're all putting in this angst and this energy into productive and unique areas, that's going to serve humanity. So that's definitely probably the first and the main thing we do. The next thing is what you strongly believe, you probably have got to go and learn as much as you can about that subject. So You know, I do believe ultimately capitalism is the best system of the ones that have been tested. I also understand that we don't really have pure capitalism anymore. We certainly don't have a pure free market. And people talk about um, Keynesian or, you know, they talk about Milton. They talk about Adam Smith. But really now we have this hybrid of hybrids of not enough intervention sometimes when I like not much intervention and then too much in others. So... I am a capitalist, I suppose, if I had to identify with the system, but I don't really think there's a system. But the more I can learn about that, that's the second thing. But then what I've got to do is I've got to anti-learn myself, mm. which means I've got to learn the other side. Yes. So I'm currently listening to a book which argues 23 failings of capitalism. Um, and I, and it's actually making a good some good arguments. And at first when I bought that, I thought initially that's not my kind of thing yes but then i thought if i want to be critical and balanced and i i I want to think about progress and not just ego i should study that too Mm. you know i the thing about child did i say it here about child labor was it here yeah Yeah, i did so you know child labor is obviously not a thing i think is good and it was government intervention that stopped manufacturers and produ- producers and the, the old-day entrepreneurs from
1: doing child labour. As, as a result of public pressure, though. Yeah, maybe. So again, agency, taking responsibility. Yes. If there's something in the world you want to see changed, speak up about it. Speak up! It. Don't wait for someone else to speak up and say, yes, I follow that person. Yeah. Become the leader you want to see. Yeah. So, un- challenging your own beliefs. Yes. Like, I wrote the book
0: Money. I wrote the book on it. Um, but I learned as much as I could about socialism and communism, even though I was writing a book that's really more pro-capitalism. Like, every time I talk to my wife, I learn something. And a lot of the times when I talk to my wife, I want to tell her something, which is, I want to talk. When my wife comes to me, she wants to talk. But, you know, my wife has a very different view of the world than me. And I learn so much from her, mm. as long as I'm not overly trying to project my values onto her. So... Being around people. So this is the fourth thing. Now, what does everyone say in the world of personal development? Hang around with winners. You know, your five people, your circle, you've got to hang around. I would actually challenge that. I think, yeah, you've got to hang around people who want to support you, but also people who will challenge you. Yes. You want to hang around with entrepreneurs and millionaires and billionaires if you want to be one, but you also should hang around with people on benefits and people who are broke and people who are hard up to learn what the world is to them mm.
1: and have a balanced view through the people you hang around with. So they're probably the four things. Yes, I think that's so important as we have these limited lenses of the world and having having that exposure to different people gives us a rich understanding, which ultimately is what we've been talking about for today. Mm. It's the, We started out talking about polarization and tribalization, how we've been divided about Brexit, COVID and war, we, we asked ourselves, are we at the precipice of war? We unpacked some of that. We looked at the war on information, cancel culture, shadow banning. We talked about big tech, and uh, whether big tech have power of individuals and governments. We talked about the NWO. We talked about the challenges in the economy. We talked about human evolution. We talked about transcendence. We asked ourselves, are we at the precipice of revolution? We've been going live now for, uh, for over- uh, one, minutes, hour and, one, yeah, one hour and 48 minutes. One hour and 48
0: minutes. What quote are you going to finish on, Dan? What's oh.
1: your quote? Well, I think I've already shared my quote, which is, you know, know, I I, I seek meaning, I I, I love the belonging of not belonging. I, I love the belonging of not belonging, because that gives me ultimate freedom. I get to be who I am, and I get to connect with others and relate with others, but I don't have to conform with others. And to me, that is a sense of freedom that comes from the freedom of not being afraid to be judged by others, because I'm in tune with myself, so I appreciate that's more than a quote, all right, <laughs> but it's, it's a sentiment I'd like to share. How about yourself? There's two.
0: One is fear screams loudest when it's dying. Another billionaire I probably got that from because I interview a lot of billionaires and very wealthy people. Fear screams loudest when it's dying. I think there's a lot of fear in the world and it's trying to hold on to itself before it dies. Mainstream mm. media trying to hold on to itself before it dies. and. Mm. So that's one. And then the other one is what I finish all of my content on, which is if you don't risk anything,
1: you risk everything. Absolutely. On that note, we are over and out. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Rob, uh, for for those who have been watching from um, my audience that perhaps haven't come across your work before, tell us a little bit about where people can find out more about your podcast and and the work that you do. So I'm the author of the book Money.
0: Um, You can also find my podcast Money, on all social medias. My name is Rob Moore. So I'm very active on all social media. My Facebook lives get millions of views. So you might want to follow me on uh, Facebook. But my name is Rob Moore. And Dan, for my audience. (laughs) What about you, Dan Gregory? Where
1: can we find you? Where are you ranting? Well, I'm ranting at the moment within the confines of Facebook, YouTube, uh, where I'm currently permitted to rant. Uh, So, yeah, you'll find my podcast on uh, my Facebook profile that you've been watching on today, Dan Aston Gregory. You'll see us on YouTube again under Dan Aston Gregory. We also have a platform called Elevate Network, where you'll find that weareelevate.org.
0: Before we finish, Dan, and we've got to do this one more from Tracy Jane. Should we be taking our money out of the bank? Mm. Here's my thoughts on this. You should not have more money in the bank than the bank will guarantee. Inflation is very high. Quantitative easing and the printing of money is very high, both of which lead to your money being worth less every year. But your bank is a good way to save money and you need a bank account to pay your expenses. So I recommend that you have a bank account for all of your main expenses and you just feed that with enough then you have your savings account. But your goal should be to get an amount that you can invest as quick as possible. And then you get it out of the bank and you get it into crypto or you get it into property or real estate or you get it into buying websites and domain names or starting a business or creating an NFT or investing in an NFT or into the stock market or wherever. So that's my long winded way of saying you need bank accounts because there are a lot of people who are so crypto based. They don't want any fiat currency. That's kind of Not
1: possible. It's a little ahead of the game. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's too far ahead. Um, But if you don't invest your savings, you're probably it's a difference of at least 15% a year right now. 10% minimum inflation, 5% return on a standard return on cash. So leaving money in a bank minimum is losing you 15% a year. They're my thoughts on should you leave the money in the bank and should you take it out? Have you got anything to add? Yeah, I mean,
1: I think that's pertinent advice. I think under these conditions, this we've talked throughout this episode about cycles, market cycles. Um, I, would, I would invest time understanding the economic and political cycles in terms of where we are today because it shows predictable patterns about where we're likely to go in the future on an economic basis. And there are always winners and losers under these types of conditions. And there are certain behaviors and, uh, and, and actions that those take that, 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 that not only protect their money uh, but, but but find ways to use it meaningfully and productively to grow it. So look to history, um, you know, look at look at where we are in the market cycle. There's plenty of education out there on that and act accordingly. But I think under these types of conditions, yeah, banks may not be the safest place, but there are guarantees in place. So you learn about those guarantees. There's a maximum amount in the UK, at least, that you'd want to put in any individual bank uh, from a safety point of view. Uh, that That is government backed. So, you're, you, you know, unless the government, I mean, it, Are we at the point of of collapse of central banks and government? I don't think we're only there. But again, look to history uh, for clues.
0: Because warning,
1: all these people who say you
0: shouldn't have any money in the bank, cash is trash, get it out, put it in crypto. Well, crypto is far more risky and far more volatile. So um, I'm not saying you shouldn't have crypto, but I think you should be aware of that as a risk. And you should only probably have risk capital and capital you can afford to lose until you understand a lot about it. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thank you oh, so By much. the way, make sure you share this as well.
1: It, yes. Yeah. I don't know if we'll break the internet doing a two hour video. <laughs> and uh, if anyone wants to keep in count, let us know how many times you've said Putin and we'll find out afterwards if uh, if we've matched that limit or not. But we <laughs> seem to be still here. So uh, thank you so much for being with us. Please do share this and really appreciate all of you uh, sharing and engaging throughout this episode. My man, Dan Gregory. My man, Rob. <laughs>